Wilson! 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 It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, ably assisted at the board by our producer, Nathan Miller, the tall guy. Nathan, how are you today? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. And if you can't tell by the extra lighting behind me, we have an ex- we have a sunny day in Seattle for a change. Hey, oh, hey. come on now. There's one for Ripley's Believe It or Not. In February? <laughs> I know, after the snowmageddon, and we actually had a little bit of a thunderstorm last night, which was kind of surprising to see, but it was nothing too significant. It just kind of came and went, and now we got a little uh, sunny after the storm type weather going on here. Very nice. You deserve it. Absolutely, and we're always happy to have you with us, Nathan. Today, and you'll notice, ladies and gentlemen, that we will not have a bottom of the hour break. That's because I have an annual general meeting at my church coming up at 2 o'clock Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Virtually. Virtually. It's virtually a meeting via Zoom. And so I need to cut out a few minutes early in order to get to that meeting on time. And so we will save our break for the last three minutes of our show today. And whereas Seattle has some sun, we have someone with a sunny disposition, a charming wit, and a lot of intellect to go with all of the above, who lives in nearby neighborhoods of Sarasota. She's been here, I think this is her second, if not third, third. time, third time here in Sarasota. And she's oh, second time. It might be she'll you know, clear like, it up we'll for us. She's waiting her. right oh, now. But we're glad to have her bit back with us. She is very well respected and listened to isn't that lovely listened to on both sides of the atlantic and thereby hangs our tale today elizabeth wilson is a leading vibrational ontologist specializing in the human process of expanding consciousness her work centers on the metaphysical and energetic craft of enlightenment and she helps people embody the knowing of truth even though even through collective turmoil and strife Elizabeth is the creator and author of Sovereign, A Way of Enlightenment, a curriculum for life mastery, ontology practitioner at Longevity Wellness Clinic in Bradenton, Florida, the senior ontologist at Karen School of Thought, and the executive game master at Sovereign Masters, where you can enjoy a game of vibrational ontology for yourself. She believes every human soul deserves to enjoy the journey of becoming and that solid frameworks for understanding the cosmological process are key to contributing to the collective unfolding without personally slipping into the grips of anxiety and overwhelm. In other words, when you know the difference between the essence of universal flow and the structure of illusion, you become the unicorn version of yourself. So hello all unicorns and hello Elizabeth Wilson, glad to have you back again. Thank you so much. Greetings to all the unicorns listening and to you too, of course. You've always been unicorns, but unicorn versions of yourselves. Oh, don't tell anybody that. (laughs) (laughs) There goes our Halloween costume again. (laughs) 
Wonderful to have you with us, Elizabeth, and I'm so proud of the work you do as an ontologist. Do you ever have anybody come into your office and say, no, it's not a tumor? I mean, the field, the <laughs> rough field of ontology just involves so much, and, and you do a great service to humanity, and sometimes there are even spontaneous remissions, which just are like miracles to me. How do you do it? What is an ontologist, Elizabeth? I just told you. <laughs> She's looking through a Zoom like... What kind of idiotic introduction is this? And you're wondering the same thing. When I hear ontology, I hear oncology. I go, don't let me make sure I heard that correctly. Or odiologist, and you think it has something to do with your hearing. Or with people who are odious. Or, or there you go. But uh, back I, to I ontology. On it's a, a metaphysical basis. <laughs> it's a metaphysical term. Correct? So what do you do for a living, Elizabeth? <laughs> Well, let me tell you, there's not quite as much surgical precision as there is in some of the other examples you've listed there, but it is one of the most profound modalities for changing one's life. And that's because ontology is a way of arranging our thoughts. It's a way of arranging our state of being or how we are showing up in the moment. And it's based on the idea. It's based on the idea that could it be possible the entire universe is one field of creation that comes from one source, from one singularity or one field? And it assumes that it really is true that consciousness impresses upon that fabric. And it assumes, therefore, that mind really is over matter and that magic really is real, therefore, and that wishes do come true. So it's a profoundly hopeful way of arranging our understanding about the world and about um, life and how life works. Um, and I suppose the addition of vibrational ontology, the addition of vibration in front of ontology is to honor the fact that that process of becoming is not merely intellectual, it's not merely a, a thought-based journey, although thought plays a profound role, but also that it is a journey of, of um, very intimate, very visceral, very tangible feeling. It's experience is what that process of becoming is. So vibrational ontology, therefore, is a way to arrange your state of being, both mental and emotional and feeling, in a way that aligns with process and the natural process of the universe certainly seems to be a fractal becoming a fractal unfolding and it certainly seems that the whole fabric of that universe is made of something like love which means that if we can arrange our way of thinking about the world in a, a way that is logical and harmonized with universal becoming with the way that God seems to work in life, then also we should see a natural expansion of our awareness and a natural broadening and widening of the reach of our love. And that's what expanding consciousness is. It's nothing more um, prideful than that, really, to be honest with you. It really is just about how much more we can love, how much more can we open up for allowing. It all comes down to allowing, you guys. And vibrational ontology is a way of allowing ourselves to align with something that is there anyway, is there for us all anyway. So an ontologist 
is someone who helps you to arrange your way of thinking and arrange your way of being in relation to the world and to life. So that's what I do for a living, my loves. How beautifully and scientifically stated. I like that. Elizabeth Wilson, let me just turn that coin over because there is a poetic side to what you just revealed. And I'm going to quote the great Robert Browning who once wrote, this is one line from his, one of his poems. I report as a man may of God's work, all's love yet all's law. And when I think of you, and I put this out in the social media yesterday, touting Elizabeth's appearance on our show today, all's love yet all's law. That really says it for me in poetic form, because if love is that cosmic glue that holds everything and everyone together, regardless of the countless worlds, it's all about love and yet lawfully driven with a a material universe born of spirit, the way people like us see it, that is lawfully ordered. It's what you can depend upon. Yes. Yes, exactly. Now, I heard something beautifully expressed in um, um, uh, when I was at church last Sunday. And the the pastor said in, in a beautiful expression of exactly what you're saying, Gary, that if one can arrange one's mind around the revealed law, of God, the revealed laws of the universe, then one can deepen one's understanding of the concealed of what's in the universe, the mystery. And that's that the the, the mystery and the intimacy of, of life is what love is all about, is what life is all about. And the more we can arrange our minds around what what you say is the laws, the uh, the the processes, the ways of um the fractal unfolding of the universe, the more we can know what is revealed about that, the more we can experience what is concealed about that. So that to me, that says that law and love always go hand in hand, that structure and essence always go hand in hand, that masculine and feminine always go hand in hand. And it shows a, a, a really um, almost sensual union, doesn't it? When you think about law and love being Um, being one and the same, all's law and all's love, then it means that there is a oneness between those two structures or those two aspects of creation. I was trying to wrap my mind around something that you just said that uh, I want to get it. And, And that is something about the reveals and the conceals. What was it about the reveals and the conceals? I just say that again, not exactly the same words, but what was the idea behind that? Well, I've probably butchered the poor pastor's intention, but let me share what (laughs) what it meant to me. (laughs) (laughs) What it meant to me was what, what, what is revealed about the laws of the universe the way things seem to be. And here we know about metaphysics, we know about physics, we know about mathematics, and we know know about the orderly and process and logic-based ways of the universe. Um, When we, the more we understand about these revealed laws, the more we can engage with what's concealed, the concealed ways of the universe. So here we're not talking about unfolding intellectually our understanding of of cosmos, the cosmology, so to speak. Now we're talking about that real, sensual, deep, mystical union with God, 
That's the concealed. That's the mystery. That's what no one is ever going to be able to formulate in any philosophy or theology or scientific book. That's that's the concealed. Do you know what I mean? I definitely know what you mean. Suzanne, do you have a thought in regards? Um, actually, I don't know if this is pertinent to the conversation or not, but it reminds me of what we were reading this morning about the spaces between things, about mm -hmm. when you are uh, visualizing something and before that something has been made manifest, there is a sacred space between your thought and the manifestation. Now, is, is that related to somewhat to what you're saying, Elizabeth? 100%. Thank yes. you. I 100%. was paying attention. <laughs> you know, there's, um, th there's this wonderful American um, Buddhist um, uh, writer, Robert Thurman. I'm sure you know him and I'm sure your listeners may be familiar with him also. And he has this really beautiful and poetic way of describing that in-between point. And he describes it almost a little bit like a purgatorial world the place between what has been and what will be mm -hmm. that sort of in between space that's pregnant with possibility that quantum sea of it hasn't yet happened sort of poise and um and and let me tell you Suzanne and that place that in between place is very real and it's embedded in every single nanosecond of your life so it's in between, but it's also immediate. It's also now. And that is a place of sovereign poise that you can sort of almost bring your state of being into. And that's what meditation's for. That's what journeying is for. And that's what the whole experience of self-development is for, is to bring us closer to that realization that that in-between point is what's real and the thoughts and then the manifestation or whatever it is on either side of the each piece of the process, that's the experience of, of unfolding. That's the fractal becoming of the universe. I remember a post Thanksgiving, which is to say left overnight in Olympia, Washington. And Suzanne and I, who were living there at the time, that were invited to come and share some leftovers. And there were going to be about, I guess, seven or eight of us at the table. And in the course of this dinner, because I knew who I was going to be supping with that night, so I was on guard, I had my dukes up mentally, inevitably came up the question, who do you think that Jesus is? And I gave them my metaphysical interpretation that is decidedly non-evangelical, non-Catholic, non-Protestant, and uh, from, a non, from a former convert who reconverted back to a more uh, rational, in my view, understanding of what the meaning of Jesus of Nazareth is in human history. And then we got into evidence for and against. And I'll, I'll press fast forward here. We came to a point where one gentleman at the table, cousin by marriage, uh, said that as in his uh, voice as a youth pastor, that God is mighty and that the laws of the universe can be bent by the Lord in order to satisfy his judgment and his will. And Elizabeth, I found myself having to say, if that's your idea of God, then call me an atheist 
because I don't believe that universal laws can be broken even by God himself, because they were fond of the male pronoun, that even God himself will not break his own laws. That would make him, what, a cosmic outlaw? No, he has the will <laughs> and the mighty power to even change his own laws. You can see where dinner went downhill from there. <laughs> I believe so much in a lawfully ordered universe that is, is driven by the necessity of laws that nevertheless are reflective of the intentions and the instincts of the creatures who come from this great matrix. I don't need to worry about how a capricious God is looking at me on any given day. Thank God. <laughs> Amen. I think that's the wisest thing you've ever decided is to not, um, not, not worry about a capricious God looking down on you. But with this parenthesis in time, an individual lifespan, you've got a lot of people, surely you've run into this, Elizabeth, where people think that you need to get right with God, that you are thinking and maybe even praying amiss, and they're prepared to tell you how to mend your ways. Well, you know what I believe? I believe in an orderly universe, 100%. I believe in the, the mathematical and logical layout of the cosmos. And I also believe in mysterious laws far beyond our comprehension. And what I have discovered is that what I believed to be very set laws um, of ways of being, um, as I matured in my understanding and uh, as I um, revealed more, um, more truth in my own experience, in my own life, that those laws changed. And in my studies, I've discovered that there are realms, there are layers of consciousness, almost like vibrational realities. There are ways of being where, as we know, where it, culturally, intellectually, um, theologically, people flock together and they have a shared experience. Some, um, uh, some cultures belong to different ways of being, more mental, cerebral, and some belong to more visceral and emotional ways of being. And the laws are different in each of these ways of experiencing life. And therefore, it's very difficult to say that um, uh, one way of interpreting the laws of God is more full or more whole or more accurate than another, simply because of that quality of, of human nature and what seems to be the way quantum works, the way life magnetizes around a way of seeing something, a way of knowing something to be true. But if, when people say you want to get right with God, I think it's important to look at the intention um, of that um, command is it a request i don't know are they beseeching you gary have you been frightfully naughty i don't know <laughs> if i'm doing it right <laughs> the way i look at it is uh, i find that the universe operates by a law for speaking of laws a law of reciprocity if i put out an intention and i speak my word in a clear way relative to a person a goal a desire of some sort i get either an approximation or the exact replication as a response from the universe, or even an exceeding of my desire or my fulfillment based on universal law. I need yeah. to know what I can depend on, what anyone 
can depend on when you put your intentions out to the universe and you seek a specific result. Ernest Holmes, who created religious science, he said, be specific. You're not going to get specific results if you are unspecific in your evaluation and in the expression of your desires. Yes, that's so whatever you're putting out, the universe is going to give it back and you're probably going to see a lot of it. That, that's right. That's right. And, and you're going to see more of the lot of what you're getting as energies intensify and as collectively as humans go deeper and deeper into truth. But what I will say is for Ernest Holmes' way of arranging the universe, there was something missing, I believe, in his deepest, most, um, no, I, I wouldn't go that far. But I would say that in the way that he has interpreted and formulated his cosmology, there does seem to be missing that really intimate experience of love. And I believe that most people now, for whatever they are asking for, there is one thing that they're asking for above all, and that's truth. And that's love. They're asking for more truth and for more love, which means that some of the things that they've been asking for or proclaiming or declaring up until this point are going to start falling away because they are unlike their highest desire of truth and love. And that experiencing, that experience of watching your belief systems fall away or your ways of being fall away or your personalities or identities fall away can look like chaos. It can look like destruction. It can look like I'm not getting what I'm asking for. I'm not getting the, the, the peace and the love and the fulfillment that I'm praying for daily. What is all of this? So... I think it is very important to acknowledge that there is a, a universe of, of um, reciprocal love where what you give out is what you get back and you must be specific. But above all, remember grace. Above all, above all laws of the universe, remember grace. That if you're truthfully and in a good and, and wholesome loving heart asking for more of what is good, then that might not look like what you think good looks like. And that sometimes can be unsettling. I, I, good grief, I experienced that in the most ridiculous way. My husband and I followed um, our idea of how the universal laws worked. And we followed it to a T. We followed it scientifically with precision. And it took us on, on a catastrophic and yet magical odyssey where we ended up tanking a chocolate business for many reasons, um, living in a derelict barn for a while, living off organic food that we collected, um, serving in healing ministries, in, in, in churches, uh, serving hot chocolate to the homeless in Denver, and um, suddenly finding ourselves in a luxury mansion on 180 acres of Rocky Mountain, incredible splendor. And then when that time ended, we were living in a canvas tent with our two young children in the desert of Colorado. None of those things we asked for. And we were very specific, very, very specific. 
Now we knew how to meditate. We knew how to put down our visualizations. We knew how to make prayer boards. We knew how to be super, super specific. And everything we asked for in our hearts came true. And none of what we had outlined came true. And thank goodness for that. Thank goodness that there was a God, there was grace, there was something standing above me, above my small world of understanding and knowing better than I do what is right and what is good for love and for everyone who comes my way. And it's from that experience of God's love, intimate, immediate now experience of his love for me and my scientific mind and understanding of the process-based logical ways of the universe it is that union that's formed sovereign and is vibrational ontology because i promise you there's magic that none of your laws can explain you know i i just love what you said uh elizabeth and it it was reminding me that there are times, especially when you're talking about grace, there are times when we are gifted with something unexpectedly. And I'm, I, I'm surprised at myself when I don't immediately pick it up and say, thank you. There, when, when something occurs that is less than like a leak in the roof, which mm -hmm. we had last year, you know, then I, then I will handle this challenge. I will call a roofer. I will get estimates. I will have people come out e even during the pandemic. I will get it fixed. I will pay for that fixing. There is something about the, that process of handling a challenge, handling a problem which we will rise up to and and we will take care of and then we'll say you know good job i took care of that but have somebody hand you something unexpected that's good that's not a leak in the roof that's a gift that's a check that is um, uh, something really good that's unexpected and i don't get the same reaction i go really are you sure? And, and it's like, I question the universe sometimes, not every time, but I do question the universe sometimes when things are going really well. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're talking about ontology, when you're talking about creating your reality with your thoughts, I have to look at what my thoughts are doing where mm. I can I can rise to the challenge and I can take care of those problems. But when grace comes upon me and says, Suzanne, here's a gift for you. And I go, what? And question that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then that has me looking at my thinking. And that happened within the last 24 hours where something really great happened. And I, and I questioned it. And it's like, why can't I just accept that and say, thank you and, and move on? There yeah. is a difference between those two, two realities that we live in. I want to live in the new reality a whole lot more than the old reality, mm -hmm. much more the gift than the, than the leak in the roof. Yeah. And so that's what you work with people on. 
yeah. is creating That's- the reality that they want. And I think this is a good time to kind of pause here because we've, we've had a, a great deep conversation but you, you are doing a program that's actually starting next week where you will do this with a group of people. And so I wanted you to talk about the, the five-week journey back into power. What is involved in all that? What do people need to do to be a part of that? I'm so glad that you, um, you, you shared your story about resisting Um, a miraculous gift as a segue into that journey because Suzanne every single one of my female clients I, I have male and female clients but every one of my female clients has that experience Suzanne of subconsciously resisting the idea that they deserve the grace that is laid upon them Every one of the women I've ever seen has something written in their memory, something written in their DNA or in their subconscious mind or in their heart or however you want to say it, that says, I haven't done enough to earn this. And honestly, wherever it comes from, it doesn't really matter. Bringing awareness to that more and more is a mission of mine to help people understand, to help Everybody understand, men and women understand that grace is dispensed unconditionally to everybody and you already deserve the miracle that you're praying for. You do deserve your wish to come true. So I I want everyone to move on from wondering if we've earned it and I will dedicate every moment for the rest of my life to making that happen. On Tuesday we start a five-week journey together in a group and we're going to practice the metaphysical craft of expansion. That means shifting the edges of what you're thinking about, how you're thinking about your capacity to receive the goodness, right? So we're, we're understanding that the universe is a process of becoming, which means that you are also in a process of becoming, which means that you are naturally becoming greater. And we need to look at where the resistance to that is. We need to find that resistance in mind, in physical, in body. Where is the body resisting this? Where is self-sabotage occurring? in the energy field also and then we need to release it and the hero protocol is a way of arranging our mind so that that alchemy can happen when i say alchemy i mean energy changing energy shifting vibration attuning and when we look at something differently that thing changes we know this to be true now by meeting together in a group we form a synergy a synergy of intention a synergy of vibration and really powerful things happen in a group. You can ask anyone who's done the extremely successful AA program over the last hundred years, a phenomenal example of ontology, of how thinking about things differently changes one's relation to even the darkest demons like addiction. So in Hero, we're going to be arranging our minds, arranging our being in such a way that we can expand our capacity to receive the goodness that is in store for us. 
And where would people go to get that information and possibly sign up for that? And let's talk to folks here, Elizabeth, as those who would be interested in partaking. My goodness, if you are someone who is becoming something, if you are living a life and you want more of what's good, you want more of the peace, you want more of the love, you want more of the balance, you want more energy to handle what life is arranging for you. If you're ready to become even greater, even more able to, to be who you are, really being who you are, then go to www.sovereignmasters.com and look for the button that says group journey. It says hero. And it's a big, purple, beautiful picture. And it says hero. Click on that and you're going to come, um, you're going to find the page that has the, the, the beginning of the experience of what this is going to be like for you. Okay. Spell Sovereign Masters. We want to make sure if anybody's got a pen and paper out, they're going to the right place easily and quickly. Brilliant. Thank you. So S O V E R E I G N M A S T E R S Sovereign Masters. Sovereignmasters.com. Good place to go to connect with Elizabeth Wilson. Find out more about what we're talking about today. Creating your reality with your thoughts, accepting that grace that comes to you, and uh, and creating more of it, I would imagine. Yes, much, okay. much more. I'm glad that sovereign and the notion of sovereignty made its way into this conversation, Elizabeth, because as I heard you talking earlier, this phrase came to my mind. What if our job is to plant a flag of sovereignty in our own lives, in our own consciousness? Again, I'll go back to Ernest Holmes. He's been a big influence on my life. Ernest Holmes says, in prayer, we don't ask. We declare a thing. There's a huge difference between asking, which puts one in the role of supplicant, the beggar with his hand out, or we can be kings and queens of our own castles, planting that flag of sovereignty and declaring what is true about us. And we find out what's been told to me many times, the universe doesn't say no. The universe isn't a declining type of universe. That's not the realm of the mind. The universe always says yes. And that puts a big burden of responsibility on ourselves because if I say, I can't get a break, I'm unlucky at work. I'm unlucky with women. My car keeps breaking down. The universe, it's so funny to put it that way. The universe is right there like this little uh, neutral, not an angel or a devil, but a neutral entity on my shoulder going with a checklist. Yes, yes, yes. So I continue being you know, fired from jobs, can't get a date. And if I did have a date, my car's broken down, so I couldn't take her anywhere anyway. <laughs> And people will go through this. I think we've all done it to some extent, mm -hmm. hopefully for not very long periods of time. 
but we will look at our lives as um, shipwrecks, as, as strewn with failures that somehow in a very negative way define us. But it's really only the universe saying yes for a single lifetime, whatever it is you put in comes back to you reflected. So if you're going to declare your sovereignty, for example, I see it as this, you no longer need to worry if God is testing you. How many times have you heard from someone and they might be in the throes of grief or in some deep frustration and they say, I, I figured it out, God is testing me. God is testing my faith. And sometimes I'm the one that says, actually, no, that there are any number of factors involved in your situation, but the one thing you can say with certainty is that God is not testing you because God has no interest in testing you. The, the creator of the universe expresses through a beautiful, incredible mystery of creativity. And so what you are putting in, that's your palette, buddy, and you're painting on it. And with it on that canvas, your life becomes the canvas and all the colors of the palette are available to you and you apply them accordingly. And what you put on that canvas, you get to look at for as long as you insist upon. Does that make sense to you versus this? Well, God's testing my faith. No, you didn't get fired because God is testing you. Maybe it's truer to say God had a better idea of where you could be and prosper. I think it I think you're right and I think it depends on whether you are a victim sort of person or whether you are a sovereign sort of person. Now there when you and I first met um Suzanne and Gary I was all about this incredible poem called Excelsior by um William Wordsworth Longfellow. And in this poem, now I'm not going to pretend that I can remember to, uh, uh, to recite it, but in this poem, the young fellow is called forward by this song, by this word, Excelsior. And he continues onward through his life, through his journey, through the valley, towards Excelsior. And he climbs the mountain towards Excelsior. And he plants his flag of sovereignty in his life. And then he hears Excelsior. And the story ends with, well, as he goes through the village, the villagers say, would you like to come in and have some bread? Would you like to sit with us a while and listen to the birds? Would you like to enjoy this experience over here for a while? But he is called always forward, always upwards, ever upwards. That's what Excelsior means, ever upwards. And it ends with the villagers find his shoes and a flag at the top of the mountain and there's just this call from above excelsior from the stars and the story is both super inspiring and also haunting because i think that we can get so wrapped up in this idea that sovereignty means that i need to be the writer of the detail of my life and forget that, in fact, the, in, the, in the detail is the mystery. In fact, the Buddha, who tried a very structured way of achieving enlightenment, he, was, he, he, he did the traditional way of, of fasting, of meditating for, for many, many years in the cave to, to try and find, try and unlock the mystery of God. And it was when he realized that moment in time when he'd been a young boy with his father by the lake and he had experienced the presence of grace. That's when he knew. 
And that's when the young girl came and gave him the bowl of rice and he became the fat, happy Buddha. So I think that, you know, the, the story of Excelsior reminds me of this drive that I have to become ever more masterful and ever more the creator of my life, but also that haunting, longing, mystical desire that we have to know the intimacy of grace in this moment. And I am very grateful that there is in my universe, there is a God who is willing to intervene and to transcend what I believe is the, the best unfolding of my life. And what seems to be a spoke in the wheel for me a lot of the time actually ends up being the greatest blessing that I've ever had. You remind me of a comment made famously by Albert Einstein. He said the most fundamental question that humanity, but more especially science can ask is, is the universe friendly? Do we live in a friendly place? At this point in my life, and I've been around over six decades, and I say, yes, it really is a friendly place. It doesn't mean I'm not going to die. I will expire. But you know what? That's not the worst thing that can happen to someone that you cease breathing in this body. What happens afterward is a matter of great speculation, and we're always searching for evidence one way or the other. But for me, I love what, what uh, Dr. Einstein said because he's talking about depending on that which is dependable in the very cosmos of which all of us are a part and all of us are connected. The universe doesn't let you down. You may let yeah. yourself down, you may let others down, and then there's repair work to be done. But the yeah. universe is that overarching reality that you don't need to doubt. It just is. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, yes. And you know, this is underpinned also philosophically by the first principle of philosophy, Rene Descartes, who, who wrote, um, I think, therefore I am. Cogito ergo sum. And that says that if I can even know myself, if I can even doubt myself, that alone is evidence of myself. So this dependable universe, this, this God that is ever loyal, this fact that I am immediately linked with it in my own consciousness, if all things are unified in a field of creation and all come from the same source, then my knowing of myself is my knowing of God. It is my knowing of, of this dependable universe. Yes, thank you for saying that. Well, thank you for saying all that you have. Here's an idea for you, Elizabeth. You just gave me the name of a beautiful talk title. It's one that you could do at any open-minded church in the land. How about doing a sermon? We'll call it a talk because you do a lot of guest talks for uh, various churches, including the, the place that is sacred to us, Sarasota Center of Light. Yes. You could do a full talk on the dependable universe. Oh, I would love to do that. Should we write it together? What a fantastic topic that now, would be. Now I just gave myself a job. <laughs> you are more than adequate. You know, if you want to kick it around with me, we'll do a little brainstorming. I'd be happy to oblige. But the what dependable universe, think yes. how reassuring that would be. Uh, you know, Gary, what people need more than ever is hope. 
And ontology is the most profoundly hopeful way of understanding life, of understanding the universe. And if, if I can give any gift to the world, I would love it to be hope, the remembering that it works out all right in the end the remembering that all is well with my soul, the remembering that the universe is dependable, that God is loyal, and that yes is always the answer. Yes, my love, yes, you do deserve to receive that miracle gift, Suzanne, you do. So yes, please, I would love to do that talk, Gary. Oh, and count me in, I would absolutely love to see the effect that has on people. It's, um, you know, and uh, maybe it's your British accent, but I'm thinking now the life of Brian, <laughs> that, wonder, <laughs> that amazing movie put out by the Monty Python crew. That's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Oh my there gosh, is a yes. point. People are seekers by nature. Yeah. And um, in that movie, you find a point where the false Messiah who understands that he is no Messiah at all. He says, I'm just a naughty boy. Yeah. And he's he's trying to explain to them that they're looking in the wrong places. They're looking for salvation. They're looking yeah. for a Messiah. And maybe there is no Messiah, but I ain't it is his clear direction to them. And then mm. immediately afterward, as they're all out in the uh, Judean desert, they begin walking away from each other they look skyward they look at each other and there's this look of befuddlement on his followers faces his disciples and one by one they fall away until there's one guy uh, holding a rock who had decided that this is the messiah this rock he's holding this is the sacred object and then he just allows it to tumble from his hand and walks away in utter confusion that's yeah. humanity on any given day throughout yeah. human history we're all seeking for something, and yet we don't have the tools or, or don't properly use them to allow ourselves to know when we've found that sacred it, if it exists at all. That's exactly the thing, isn't it? That's the human woe. The fact that our consciousness, our knowing of life by its nature is already fractured we're always going to be looking for that wholeness we're always trying to find more of the mystery and um you know there is a i think there's a really poetic beauty in thinking about god like that also and um, i'm reading right now a lovely book by um by by Jack Miles. It's called God a Biography. And it's a it's a stunning piece of work. It won a Pulitzer Prize for it. And I think everyone should read it because this is what it does. It considers the Bible as a literary masterpiece only. And it it goes through who the protagonist of this masterpiece is. And it reveals God through the scripture, through the Abrahamic scripture up into the New Testament, as this conflicted um, enactor of chaotic, at times, divine will. And yet, through all of it, there is this absolutely stunning consistency of benevolence and love. 
even through its confusion, even through its re regret and through its many ways of expressing itself as a creator, as a destroyer, as a nurturer, as a comfort, all of these things. Yet there is something that's constant. And I think that's us, don't you? Isn't it true that we're made in the image of the universe? And aren't we so conflicted? But isn't it true that there is that one constant, that there is that one dependable soul song inside of us and 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 remembering that in the moment that is it that is the it that you're wondering does it exist yes it does and that's what it is and ontology is a way of finding that sovereign poise the place in between Suzanne that brings you back to that it I was um I was thinking a, a few minutes ago that um at one of the most difficult moments of my life was eight years ago when my dad passed away. And I flew from um, Florida up to Chicago to be with him. And he had a he had a dire prognosis, which kept getting shorter and shorter with each passing day. And before I went up there, I bought myself a, a bracelet it was it was it reminded me of Wilma Flintstone because it was mostly a bunch of very small beige stones and it, it looked like a bracelet of rocks. And I, I remember I was with Gary when I bought it and I said, I am going to buy this bracelet and it's going to let me know that I am okay because I knew when I was making this trip, this was going to be a very, very difficult trip for me. And so I, I got on the plane and I wore my bracelet the entire time I was there. And so when, when things became emotional, when they became complicated, when decisions had to be made about, you know, moving him to hospice and other things, I can remember touching the stones on the bracelet and saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm okay. And I, I bought it to, to bring myself to that place. And, and so it, it became a ritual for the period of time that I was there. And, and, and somehow to have something tangible was something that I needed at that moment so that my soul would not somehow just disappear. Yes. And, and so that's what I did with that space in between. I, I grasped something physical and I, I touched it and I, I moved it around my wrist and touched each stone and just kept saying, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm all right. Everything's gonna be all right. Everything's gonna be all right. And, and so that was, that was like a trick of the mind to help me through it. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering you know, do people generally do something like that? Are there things people can do like that to really help themselves get into a good and grounded place when it appears as though there's chaos everywhere? Yes, yes, there is. And thank you for for your very visceral description of what a magic talisman can be like. Yes. Something that is very real and something that is very reachable, 
that has a very instantaneous and immediate effect on your state of being, on your experience of life in that moment, something that can bring you back home to, yes. to peace, you know, to remembering. Yes. And there are, there, there are, the good news is, the wonderful news is, there are billions and billions and billions of ways to do that. And it becomes almost, you know, these these talismans become like portals. They become like sacraments. That's what the sacraments are. They're portals to bring you into a new state of being. That's what quantum leaping is. That's what that is. It's changing your vibrational reality by altering your state of being. And that's what you're doing when you reach for that bracelet and you hold that bracelet and you feel how smooth it is. And you feel the coolness of it on your skin. What you're doing is you're changing your psychonumosomatic state, your vibrational state of being. You're changing your thoughts and your feelings and you're changing the chemistry in your body because the hormones change. So everything changes and you have a different experience of life immediately, don't you? So what ontology does, the way that ontology is a tool like that, um, ontology is not a bracelet, it's a, it's a way of being, it's a way of arranging your thinking, arranging our interpretation. And for thinkers, for people who find healing, um, comprehension very healing, this is the way, this is the best talisman that has ever served me, is being able to arrange my knowing of life. I love that. One more time, Elizabeth, tell the folks where they can connect with you to take your class. Please come to www.sovereignmasters.com and look for the Blue Hero button. Thank you so much for being with us today, Elizabeth. It was quite the conversation. Deep sea Thank fishing we went. Me. Incredible. Thank you so Th much for having Thank me. you, Elizabeth, dear lady. Have stay a, tuned for Jupiter Rising. Absolutely. And beyond that, stay safe, stay happy this weekend, everyone. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. Hi, I'm Arielle Winter. If you're anything like me, your pets are not only your best friends, they're part of your family. 
American Humane, which has been rescuing animals like Cleo here for more than 100 years, has life-saving tips that can make a big difference before, during, and after disasters such as hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, or wildfires. So when disaster strikes, you want to be prepared to protect them. Be sure to microchip or tag your pets. Never leave them behind in a major crisis and be sure to have an emergency kit ready in your home at all times with a pet crate or carrier, leash, blanket, ID, and medications, their water bowl, and seven to 10 days worth of food. To find out how to protect your entire family during a disaster and help our best friends in their worst times, please visit AmericanHumane.org. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington.